0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, today's festival and today's gospel reading bring us into two events in the life of Jesus, his circumcision and his naming by Mary and Joseph per the instructions given to them by the angel Gabriel. But in the middle of the 20th century, it was decided to frame this celebration really more on Jesus' name than on his circumcision. And that was for the obvious reason that no one really wants to talk about circumcision in church. We don't want to ignore the Bible, however. And so instead, what this reading and what the festival calls us to is that we should hear the good news, that is the gospel, that Christ was both circumcised and named. Because both of these things he accomplished for our sake. Indeed, we don't talk about circumcision much in church, but you really can't read throughout the Bible without being confronted by its importance. Circumcision was a physical sign, a very real sign, a physical means that God reminded his people of his love for them. In Genesis 17, God institutes circumcision when he comes to Abraham and says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he is eight days old. In other words, this was to be a permanent sign of a relationship. It's not something you can undo. Furthermore, it's not a bloodless sign either. It was a sign that was accompanied by pain, by blood, and by loss. And so in this way, it was a sign that spoke to the seriousness of the problem of sin. Sin, which causes separation from God, is painful. And so circumcision became a reminder that even from our conception, even from our birth, we are sinners. We inherit the sinful depravity of our father, Adam. And so when Adam sinned, all of humanity was cursed. And so the sign of circumcision was meant to be a painful sign. And that pain of that sign was carried by men, but the sign was meant to be for all of God's people. It was a painful sign, but it was also a sign meant to relay the hope of good news. The one who was circumcised was forever marked by God. It was an identity. And so when we get to the Gospels, we see that Christ did not actually need to be circumcised. If we follow the logic of the Old Testament, circumcision for Christ was not a moral necessity because Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Christ is a new Adam. He doesn't inherit Adam's sin, Christ himself is not guilty. Christ was not conceived in sin. He had no need for the painful sign of circumcision because he was never separated from God. Jesus needed no reminder of his relationship with God. Christ was circumcised then, not for his own good or for his own sake, but for us. And this is how we should think about all Christ does. All that Christ does, is for us. Christ did not need to become a baby born in Bethlehem. He did not need to be given the name of Jesus by Mary and Joseph. He did not need to be circumcised or taken to the temple. He did not need to teach, to heal, to forgive. He did not need to die on a cross. None of those things were necessary for his own sake or his own benefit. He did all of those things because he loves us. He undergoes everything and suffers everything for us. And so the circumcision of Jesus is the first time we see Jesus spilling his blood for us. In other words, he submitted himself to the law and its consequences for us. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Luther puts it like this. For when death fell upon Jesus and slew him, and yet had no right or cause against him, and he willingly and innocently submitted and suffered himself to be slain, death became liable to him. It did him wrong and sinned against him. Therefore, death is subject to Christ and his power forever. So also circumcision did Christ wrong, for he was not subject to it. Therefore, it is justly subject to him, and he has power over it, he has conquered it. He has granted to us that it has lost its right over those who believe in Christ. He has released us from the circumcision by submitting to it innocently. Luther's point is that Christ underwent all the consequences of the law perfectly on our behalf. Right? What we deserved, the pain of sin, the pain of the consequences of our rebellion against God, what we deserved, Christ submitted to. And in doing so, he made it possible for us to be saved. And so God no longer requires circumcision to be the sign of his relationship with us because Christ underwent circumcision for us. That is to say, Christ suffered the painful consequences of the law for us. Christ took on the law's judgment for us. What we deserve, Christ underwent. He took our place. And by taking our place, he saves us. When God sees the Christian, God doesn't see us as sinners condemned by our own sin, sinners condemned by the law. Instead, God sees what Christ has done for us. God sees us as his children because of Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. And so as believers, God gives us a new sign, which is baptism. He gives us a bloodless, painless sign, and he unites us to Christ and gives us all the benefits of Christ's perfection. In Colossians, St. Paul puts it like this, in Christ also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the records that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Like St. Paul says, when you were buried with Christ in your baptism, you were raised with him in faith. Your sin demanded punishment It demanded death. It demanded separation from God. But Christ took this on for you. And because he has taken it on for you, the records of those consequences that stood against you are erased. You are given new life. You're spiritually made new. And someday physically, you will will be physically made new as well because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus saves you. He came in the flesh for you. And so we call this eighth day of Christmas typically the holy name of Jesus or the festival of the holy name because when one was circumcised, they were officially named. And so within Jesus' name is a sign and a promise of our salvation. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua. And so as Joshua led God's people into the promised land after Moses, so Jesus saves us by leading us into the promised land after the consequences of the law. Christ is our salvation. And so when we call upon his name, we're reminded of that. His name means the Lord saves. So every time we call on his name, we're reminded that he saves us. And Jesus was given this name for your sake. As I said earlier, all of the events of Jesus' life are things he submits to out of love for you. Jesus allows himself to be called Jesus. Jesus is rightly called God. He's rightly called the Lord. But now he has also called himself Jesus, which is the Lord saves. And this is for us, a gift for us, so that every time we pray to him, every time we call on him, we are, in essence, preaching the gospel to ourselves. Because when you pray to Jesus, you are saying, the Lord saves. When you sing his name or praise his name, you are saying, the Lord saves. Just faithfully speaking his name to yourself is like a sermon for your own heart. It's a reminding of who, you, of who he is for you. He is the one who has come to save you. Our hymn of the day is not exactly a seasonal one, not a Christmas one. It's How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, which was written by John Newton. You might know that name. John Newton's the preacher who was the former slave trader, who himself knew the salvation of Jesus Christ, and who famously wrote it in that hymn, Amazing Grace. But in this hymn, Newton writes, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fear. And that's not just romantic, sentimental notions. It is not like the way your boyfriend or girlfriend's name might give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Instead, Jesus' name is sweet to us because his name itself is the gospel preached to us. His name reminds us that he has come to save us. He has taken on the law's curse for us. He has taken on the consequences of your sins. He has made salvation possible for you. And because of what he has done for you, God has forgiven you. Indeed, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in our ear. Amen.